this message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. It's really great to be here. I've, I've actually I've not been here in this meeting for the last two Sundays. Last week I was upstairs with the students from the weekend program, and the week before I was in Southport, and um, it's always such a blessing to be back here. I'm, you know, wherever you are with God's people, you're at home, but this is really home, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's wonderful to be here with you guys, and uh, if you're here this morning, if, you, if you're here to support Chloe with her baptism, could you just give us a little wave, I can see a pocket, can we give these guys a really warm welcome? It's really good to have you with us, thank you for coming this morning, and if you're here to support Tony and Juliet, if you give us a wave in this area here, we're really glad that you could join us as well. Um, We're not going to limit, we're not going to wait too long for the baptism, but um, what I'd love to do this morning is try and talk about Christmas and talk about the word that's come in the last sort of five or six months and pull it all together and package it beautifully and present it to you. And I couldn't do that without a pun. It wouldn't be right, would it? I entered a pun competition recently, actually. I sent in 10 entries and uh, unfortunately, none of them came out of the winner. No pun intended. No, it was really bad. It was really bad. But I want to talk about something far better than my pun jokes. Christmas is now in full swing. It's 12 sleeps till Christmas. Not that I'm counting. And, um, you know, we can get very busy over the Christmas season, and we're busy with lots of great things. But um, what I really wanted to do was remind us that this Christmas, not only will this Christmas be great... But this Christmas, you'll be great. God wants us not just to have a great Christmas, but to be great this Christmas. That's always God's intention for us, is that we're great. He's done great things. And that's my prophetic statement this morning. You'll be great. Simon's laughing. Other people are saying amen. Either way, I know you're accepting it. And um, I was just, that word great kind of was a word that really I wanted to, to use this morning as um, a key to describing not just what we're coming into, but who we are. Yes. And uh, the word great in, in, our, in, in the New Testament comes from the, predominantly comes from the Greek word megas or megan. And it's just where we get the word mega. It means large, it means abundant, it means massive, it means great. And, um, and I, as I was thinking about that, I thought, actually, you know what? In the nativity story, there are, this word great appears on a few occasions. And the best thing is, the best news is, on two of the occasions, it's this, great joy. Great joy is used twice in the description of the nativity story. And before that, the word great is used to describe who Jesus is. And then, and I thought, you know, I'm going to look at Matthew and Luke, because that's where our nativity story lies in Luke. Luke describes the story of the angel visiting Mary. It talks about Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist and the shepherds. Luke picks up all that stuff for us. And then Matthew goes and he picks up the stuff around Joseph getting a visit from the angel in his dream and the the magi, the wise men coming to visit Jesus. And from that, we kind of pull all these verses together and we we come up with our Christmas story, our nativity. But the wonderful thing is, there's great joy at the beginning of Matthew and great joy at the beginning of Luke. But there's also great joy at the end of Matthew and great joy at the end of Luke. So when the shepherds hear the message from the angels, they say, we've got good news of... Great joy. You guys, you know that story, don't you? You've heard it a couple of times now. 
And it talks about when the, when the, the Magi come to, to, to visit Jesus, they're looking for him, and finally they see the star above the house where this baby lies. And it says as they saw it, they were filled exceedingly with great joy. Like Mr. Kipling, great joy. Exceedingly great joy. And then at the end of Matthew, it talks about how, um, I think it's the, the um, that's right, the women come and visit the tomb, and they realize that Jesus isn't there, and it says, and they ran from there with great joy. And then it talks about the disciples witnessing at the end of Luke, Jesus being ascending into heaven, and it says, and they went back to Jerusalem with, guess what, great joy. You know, this Christmas is all about a message of great joy, not just based in the coming of Jesus Christ, but in his work, in his death, in his resurrection, and what he's done for us ever since. That he's alive, and that he wants us to know his great joy. He wants our yule to be great. So if you turn in your Bibles, I'm going to read some very familiar Christmas scriptures. I make no apologies for it. I've been waiting all year to do this, so So I, I love Christmas, and I love this Christmas story. Almost feels a bit wrong to read it outside of December, but that's not true. You know, it's, it's perfectly good throughout the year. Not just for Christmas, that's right. It's for life, Deborah, that's right. So if you turn to Luke 1, verse 26, please. Luke 1, 26. It says, In the sixth month of, G- of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Look out for great, by the way, okay? Great's going to appear a few times. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Nine months later, they're in Bethlehem. They're in this house and we turn to Luke 2 verse 8. The shepherds are out in their fields. It says, that night... There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. 
When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Then we'll just go back to Matthew and read a couple of parts of his account. Matthew 2, verses 7 to 12. We'll just read those few verses. This is later on. In the major, I've been following a star to see this king. They've arrived at Herod's court, and it says, Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, Matthew 2, 7. And he learned from them, the, uh, sorry, he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with great joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their gifts, uh, their treasure chests, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was their time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. If you go back to Luke 1, and uh, remember that verse, those, those verses there. It describes how the angel arrives and gives Mary this incredible message. Mary is this young virgin who's completely oblivious to what's about to happen to her. And then an angel visits her and gives her this message in Luke 1 verse 32. This is the, the heart of the message. It says, you'll, you'll name him Jesus. And it says this, he will be very great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. You know, it's an incredible statement that the angel gives Mary, saying, your son will be very great. You know, nine months later, when Jesus is born, to all intents and purposes, I don't think he looked particularly great. He was a newborn baby. He was a new, tiny, vulnerable, little baby. Great? Really? doesn't look very great to me. looks like a tiny, vulnerable little baby. And not only that, he's a little baby placed in a feeding trough. Hang on, this, this baby is not, even if he's a baby, surely if he's great, he should be in something better than a feeding trough. And he's in a feeding trough in a little house, in a little village, in a little nation that was part of a, a, a pawn, if you like, in the Roman Empire. At the heart, the crossroads of the world. And not only that, but there's a king who is wanting to kill babies. It's not looking very great, is it? He's not looking very great. But you know what the wonderful thing is? Our greatness, God's greatness, isn't determined by our circumstances and our situation. That doesn't define the greatness of God. God is great in spite of those things. Just as that child was great, he was great in spite of his surroundings. He was great in spite of his size. He was, in, he was great in spite of the threat of the enemy that was trying to kill him. He is, was great. He is a great God. And I want to say this. You'll be great because he is great. God is great. You know, over this, this 
um, this year, um, Mike came and he preached and he talked about the goodness of God. He said this, God is good. God is great. He's always good. It's his nature. He's always good, Mike said, and he always keeps his promises. And I love this, this, this part that the angel says um, to Mary. It says, um, the word of God will never fail. This is what the angel says to Mary. Because he says, this baby will be great, but trust me, it won't look great when he comes out. It won't be in a great environment when he does. But know this, the word of God will never fail. God is good. God always keeps his promises. We'll be great because he is great. He's good in all that he does. He's our father. He loves us. Yes, we're in an imperfect world. Yes, there is an enemy that wants to destroy us. It was no different for Jesus. In an imperfect world with an enemy literally out to destroy him. But he was great. He is great. You'll be great because God is great. 1 Chronicles 16.25 says, The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. And Mike reminded us of that, of the goodness of God, that God is with us, that he has a plan for us, that our job is to continue to trust him, continue to thank him, continue to look to him, continue to stand on his promises. As we've been reminded this morning from Malachi, God is great, therefore you'll be great. Number one. That was easy, wasn't it? Number two. You'll be great because not only is he great, but he makes us great. He makes us great. And you know what, when, if you go back to this verse, Luke 1, verse uh, 32, we, we've talked a lot this year about covenant. This sentence from the angel is dripping in language of covenant, okay? He says, he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. We talked about the covenants that God makes through the Old Testament. A key one was one that he made in 2 Samuel 7 with David, saying that on your throne, you will always have an heir. You will always have somebody who will follow you, and he will become the one who is the greatest king of all, the one who will reign forever, who holds the one belt, champion of the world. He will be the one, and he will reign on your throne forever. What's he describing? He's saying that that old covenant that was made with David, this is now the the ushering in of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And it's because of the new covenant that we are great. This language of covenant culminating in the new covenant. And I'm so blessed. Will talked about Dr. Will Lyon, I should say, who came with his stethoscope and talked to us about loving the new covenant. And he reminded us that the problem with mankind was our sinful hearts. That the heart of the problem was the problem of the heart. And the prescription came in the old covenants of sacrifice and law to try and help us bring our hearts in line with God. To purify our hearts, help us live right. But none of those things ever did anything. They never really sorted out the fundamental problem. And he reminded us that the perfect procedure was Christ coming in the new covenant. His death for us. Him laying his life down for us. He died for you. He died for me. He paid the price for our sins. He took those, not only took them on us, on on himself for us, he became sin. You know what? He's taken our punishment. He's paid the price and ushered in a new covenant that would enable us to know God, to come in relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is the perfect procedure. And for us, it's to believe in him, put our faith in him, to know that as we do, he changes our hearts. And that we always, our post-op procedure then, 
is to always remain trusting him, to keep our hearts strong, to guard our hearts, to allow our hearts to be fed by the word of God and washed by the Holy Spirit. That's why we love the new covenant, because he changes us on the inside. It's not about you trying to be better. It's about you coming to him, saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Change me. Change my heart. I give my life to you. And he says, I can do that. And he changes our very hearts. It's wonderful, isn't it? And Chris reminded us of the new covenant meal that we take just a few weeks ago. He talked about the power of the meal. When we break bread together, we're remembering this new covenant. And he said, you know, there's power in this meal. It's powerful because we recognize that it impacts our past, that our sins are forgiven. It affects us today, our present, but it also speaks of our future because Jesus is coming to to bring us into full, perfect relationship with the Father. It reveals God's love to us. Chris talked about how in in Scripture it talks about our names being written on on his hands and how when Jesus hung on the cross and those nails went into his hands, the blood washed over his hands, washed over our names, that we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It's a powerful picture. So it's it's a strange concept that blood can wash us, isn't it? But the blood of Jesus, it says, washes us, purifies us of all sin. And it was his love that held him there. His love for you, his love for me that held him there. It reminds us of God's love. And it's very difficult to not love somebody that loves you. That when we understand that God loves me, he's not out to control me, he's not out to to beat me up every time I make a mistake, he's not there to guilt trip me into, into being a good person. He loves me, he's created me for a relationship, he's done all that he can to bring me into a relationship with him. And as I understand that, I think, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. You first loved me. My response is, it causes me to love you more. All of this is into the new covenant. And then he talks about how um, that enables us to reclaim what was lost. And I want to remind us again of this truth. Not only have we been saved from sin, we've been made righteous. Made righteous. Not just gone to neutral, but received the righteousness of Christ. Not only healed from sickness but made strong and well in him. Not just rescued from death by the skin of our teeth, but brought into fullness of life. Not just released from fear, but put on us peace and joy as we've been talking about this morning. Not just restored from being separated from God, but brought close, brought near to him and put into a family where we can experience this love that God has for us, not just from him, but from one another as well. The new covenant You know, in that covenant language that God uses when he speaks to Abraham in Genesis 2 verse, 12 verse 2, sorry, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. You'll be great because he's made you great. 1 John 4 says, greater is he who lives in me than he who's in the world. I'm great because he's great and he's made me great. He's in me. He's in you. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, he says, I really want you to get your heads around this, the incredible greatness of the power that you have. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms lives in you. Lives in you. This potential of greatness that you and I have in us because of what God has done through Jesus Christ by putting his Holy Spirit in us, we haven't even scratched the surface 
of the greatness of the potential that lies within us. We haven't. I haven't. Because we're talking about the fullness of God himself coming by his spirit to live in us. You'll be great because he is great. So blessed to have been reminded of the power, the wonder of the new covenant through Will and through Chris. How we've been brought into a family. And I talked about the church being a family and that that comes from an understanding, firstly, that God is our father. That he's brought us and adopted us as children. That when Jesus came and the promise that he's making, this kingdom that he's talking about isn't just a kingdom, it's a family. That he's going to bring us all into, into relationship with the heavenly father through the new covenant. Blessed to be joined together. Blessed to know that God is our father. Adopted as his children. That my identity is as a child of God. That I have security in that. That I have maturity as I grow up in the understanding of that. And I understand that every person that's born again through Christ Jesus, there's equality and we have great unity. Togetherness. So we can pray together. To stay together. We can meet together and eat together and grow together and sow together. And Ellie talked about parents in the house. How God has made us into a family with grandparents and parents and children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters. So that we can know together, practically outwork this family relationship of being covenanted together to protect one another so there's security and boundaries that God has put leaders in place to care for us and to enable us to grow strong as God loves us, not dominates us, as we learn to serve one another, not be self-serving. How our love for one another can be a covenant love, not a convenient love. And then David talked about marriages being strong, being a representation of the new covenant that we have in Jesus. You know what I'd love to do right now is, if you're, if you're, you're, you're married here, I'd love to pray for all the married people. Even if your spouse isn't here, I'd love to pray. Could you stand if you're married, please? Don't feel under duress to do it. You're just going to be blessed when you stand. I'm going to pray for, for us. But as I was preparing this and I was remembering of the covenant, the marriage covenant that David took a number of weeks to share on and did such a fantastic job of presenting what marriage is, where it stems from in the beginning, how we're to guard it and protect it and value it above all other th- in, in, in so many ways above many other things, and how it represents this cosmic plan of Christ and the church. This is no small thing that our marriages represent here today. Heavenly Father, I ask a blessing, I proclaim a blessing right now over every married couple here in this room. Lord, let their relationships be stronger than ever. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would bring about healing where it's needed. That, Lord, that you'd strengthen the relationship where it's needed. Lord, I pray that you would bring a greater love and appreciation for the other, Lord. Father, I pray for unsaved spouses here this morning, Lord. That, Lord, that you would, that, Lord, they would quickly turn to you. That, Lord, that there would be a coming in, Lord, of unsaved husbands and wives into the kingdom of God, Lord, so that married couples can come and worship you together, can love you together, Lord. I just proclaim that right now in the name of Jesus. Salvation for marriages here, Lord. Health for marriages here. Strength for marriages here. That, Lord God, you would be glorified in our marriages in this world, in Jesus' name, Lord, for secure homes and households. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please take your seat. So remember that you'll be blessed. You'll be great because he is great. You'll be great because he makes you great. 
And lastly this, you'll be great because he brings great joy. This is a message of great joy. God wants our lives to exhibit great joy. Benj talked about it this morning as we started worshiping together. And, and, um, and, and I love this in, in the messages that we have here. If you turn to Luke 2, verse 10 again. The angel comes along and says, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And then Matthew 2.20 talks about how the, uh, the wise men, when they see the star above the house, says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You'll be great because God has great joy for us. And then Luke 28, verse 8, if you turn to the end of, Luke, of uh, sorry, Matthew 28, verse 8. I just made up a whole chapter in the Bible, Luke 28, verse 8. Matthew 28. Verse 8, that's right. Thank you. In fact, let's go from verse 7. People always do I, Preachers always do this, don't they? Throw in an extra verse. The women have come to visit Jesus at the tomb. They realize he's not there. An angel, again, comes and says, he's been risen. He's risen from the dead. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. Great joy. And then Luke 24, verse 52. Just go towards the the end of of Luke's gospel, please. Actually, I might have made another one up, haven't I? (laughs) The end of Luke 52, sorry, not 54. The disciples have seen Jesus ascending into heaven, Luke 24, verse 52, and it says, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You know, God wants our lives to be defined by great joy. Great joy because of the promise that he comes, but great joy because of the work that he's done in our lives and bringing us into the new covenant. Great joy about his power, but great joy as well about his love. Because his love is great. His power is great, but his love is great. Is great. In fact, I believe his power is great because his love is great. Ephesians 2, verse 4, Paul writes and he says, I want you to understand the great love that he loved us with. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19 says, I really pray that you'll experience his great love, though it's too great to understand. And when Shirley shared, um, she talked about clothes to wear and places to go and people to see. And she reminded us of the scripture in Zechariah 3 where the priest Jeshua meets, um, again, an angel and, and, the, uh, and, and meets Christ, as it were, and, and he's wearing dirty clothes and, and, the, and he says, I'm going to change you, I'm going to wash you, I'm going to give you new, clean, fresh clothes and put a new turban on your head. And that God dresses us when we're saved in fine clothes. And then he sends him out to go and have authority and to bless those around him. And to know that even though there's an enemy that wants to accuse him, that he's free to go and bless those around him. And that's God's heart for us. You know, that this Christmas we can express great joy of what it is to be dressed clean, in clean clothes, to be given power and authority. And right at the beginning of the, uh, the kind of the winter term, if you like, the Christmas term, David came and he, and he started, about, uh, he, he talked about throw open the windows. Throw open the windows. And I really want to encourage us. You'll be great because he's great. 
You'll be great because he's made you great. You'll be great because he brings great joy. And that is what the world is desperate to see. The world is desperate to see that the fresh air of heaven blows through our lives. That we're open about our faith. That we're open about the message. You know, when the shepherds heard the message of Jesus, it says they went around telling everybody. They couldn't keep stum. Do you want to see what happened? There's a king that's been born. The wise men returned when the women were told about Jesus being raised from the dead. He said, go and tell the disciples. And when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, after they'd returned to Jerusalem with great joy, they poured out onto the streets with great joy, full of the Holy Spirit. And the church grew greatly because the windows were blown open and they poured out with great joy. Why? Because God is great. He'd made them great and he brought them great joy. That's God's heart for us this Christmas. That's been God's heart for us during the year, that we understand his greatness, that we understand he's made us great, and that he wants us to know his great joy. Can we just stand together, please? Ask the musicians to come forward. just want to pray that, you know, the blessing of God and the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. You know, it's, um, it's not be strong and then no joy. It's knowing joy that makes us strong. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Not strength will cause us to know the joy of the Lord. And I understand not everybody necessarily feels particularly joyous. Some of us do, some of us don't. We're all in different places. But you know what? It starts with knowing He's great. Knowing that He's made us great. And that by His Spirit, He wants us to know joy so that we're strong in every situation, so that our joy is expressed to the world around us. So for us to know that being great isn't, isn't defined by our situation, it's defined by who we are in that situation. He is great. We are great. And He wants us to know His joy. I'm going to pray right now. Holy Spirit, thank You that You are the one who brings joy. We thank you that it's part of the, of, your, of the fruit that develops in our lives as we're filled with you. The joy overflows. I thank you, Lord, it's not dependent on anything other than on you, Lord. On your power, on your greatness in our lives by your spirit. Lord, I pray, let there be a fresh joy in our hearts this morning. Let there be joy in the light of great things. Let there be joy in spite of challenges. Lord, but let there be joy, I pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to bring joy to the world, Lord. That you came to bring joy into our hearts, joy into our lives, to bring us back into right relationship with you. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, by you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll give us all spiritual wisdom and insight so that we grow in our knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope that you've given to those of us you've called. Your holy, glorious people that are your rich inheritance, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning, let us know a fresh understanding of the incredible greatness of your power for us who believe in you. We thank you, Lord, that it is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in place of honor at God's right hand. Lord, I pray this morning, let your love be experienced among us this morning, even though it's too great to understand fully. Lord, I pray for those who've never really known or experienced your love before. 
Spirit of God, minister your love right now, I pray. Minister your love right now. Let hearts be open to you this morning. We thank you that love comes from you, Lord. The joy comes from you. And Lord, we give you all glory this morning. There is no one like you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, please visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.